Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Free Therapy Show, man. It's your boy, Paul, a.k.a. Fuzzy Handsome, and I'm with my co-host. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Mr. Ron, a.k.a. B. Ron. How y'all doing? Hey, man. I am so glad that we are back on the ones and twos and trying to make this happen and make this work again, man. How's everything been going for you over there in South Kakalaka? Man, going good, dog. Going good. Trying to settle into this this new college football season, and and the mm. fall is in the air, and and I yep. love it. Oh, that's what's up, man. Yeah, it's a little cooler, man. I know everybody kind of appreciating this little break from the sun. I just got back from a cruise this weekend, man, where it seemed like the Caribbean had its own sun setting up down there, man. So <laughs> uh, definitely glad to be away from that place. And we could talk about cruises later because I got major beef with cruises. But, uh, man, let's get talking <laughs> into some Deion Sanders and some and some. Colorado Buffaloes, man. Let's call this episode the uh, Have You Guys Been to a Jackson State Game Lately episode. (laughs) (laughs) You remember when Dion left Jackson State, everybody kind of was mad and everything. Like, how he going to do that to a black college, man? Uh Hey, dog, that was me, bro. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, not everybody on the sideline. Everybody tried to get into the game. Ticket prices, the highest state I've ever been. Ratings on TV, outrating every other game on TV, man. Have you been to a Jackson State game lately? Hey, dog. I I just I just saw something about that today. Like, bro, it's like the highest rated football viewership <laughs> of all time on of all Fox, time. bro. Of all time. <laughs> like, this Prime is game time. three. Game, <laughs> game two, game three. This yeah, is man. crazy. And to watch this, you know, I guess I take it with a with a grain of salt. You know, I'm I'm a little skeptical when we jump all on anything. Like black mm-hmm. folks, I, I love us. I, I really do. But mm-hmm. when we jump on anything with two feet, I, I'm like, okay, let's watch. Let's this wait. And I was worried, you know, watching the Colorado, Colorado State game, bro. I I must have been one of a few people that stayed up. I know everybody had it tuned in, but when I talked to people, they all say, man, I fell asleep on it. I was like, no, you didn't know that was a 10 (laughs) o'clock game. You were supposed to get your nap in. You were supposed to find a place to get your nap. So you made sure you watched that game. I was drinking Celsius like it was water. (laughs) I did not miss Colorado, Colorado State. And I have to say this about the brother Dion. I have to say this, like, he has made and he has brought energy into college football that hasn't mm-hmm. been there for quite some time. I mean, mm-hmm. we all like you and I have our our fan favorites. Like you, you are Georgia Bulldog. I'm a Clemson Tiger. We love those programs. Yes, like, sir. We're, we're going to be invested. But Dion has people watching college football that I obviously know don't really mm-hmm. watch college football. Mm-hmm. Dion brought those people. We have yeah, to man. credit Dion for for some somebody asking me about college football. And I could tell, like, hey, yo, you, you don't really watch college football, do you? <laughs> yeah, man. It's an event now. It's like a social event. Like, you seen the Dion game? I yeah. That's some it's, people know who it's they, the Dion who game, the dog. It's you the Dion game. game this weekend? Man, wow. Colorado done had a black team with gang members on it and a black quarterback. 
win a championship out here and they wasn't getting viewers out here, man. No, like, <laughs> like, man, Dia got people turn, tuning in um, to see, I guess, him catch an interception, run to the end zone and do the, the touchdown dance. He hey, Shiloh almost did it. Shiloh almost did it. <laughs> almost. He, he took How you be Dion's son and can't do the Dion dance? Hey, I thought I was. I thought he was getting ready to break out that uh, high stepping <laughs> dog, but he didn't. He didn't. But he got in that end zone and he cleared Dion him out. Dion ain't a he good daddy, that, man. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna just go ahead and put it on wax. Dion ain't a good daddy. You can't have your son out here getting pick sixes and not doing the high step and the Dion dance. He felling as a father, man. I'm, I need to check the child support receipts, man. He felling as a dad. <laughs> yeah, though. That was something. Yeah, I, I find it so funny, though, how quickly we can move from one thing to the next as a people. Oh, right? man. Like, that's, that's it. Man, everybody's heart was broke when he left the HBCU for the PWI, man. And, and Colorado, they ain't even got a program. Five million dollars, man. I want Dion to sacrifice everything for the HBCU system. Somebody got to sacrifice, and it might as well be Dion. <laughs> and now everybody's staying up to watch the ten o'clock game, like Floyd made where the uh, fights used to be. Right? Hey, like, <laughs> I want to see. I want to. I'm gonna tune in to watch him win. And then this other group going to tune in to watch him lose. Bruh, I think I'm on the fence. You might be talking about me because I think I'm on the fence. <laughs> because part of me, I, I, I got to be honest here. Part of me is like, yo, like I think part of me is stuck in the traditional sense of what college football used to be. And we spoke mm-hmm. to this kind of uh, uh, in a segment before about how traditional college football looks, how re- the recruiting process looks how it takes mm-hmm. to develop players and how long that you know takes to get your program rolling but Dion came in with a mentality and an understanding of how to bring in recruits through the the portal and who mm-hmm. he was bringing with him and mm-hmm. then a belief in himself as Dion mm-hmm. Sanders like all of those things are mixing together, I think, in, in Colorado that is turning yeah. him into the phenomenon that he is right now in college football. Yeah, yeah man. So I got some uh, friends who play college football at University of Georgia, and I speak to pretty regular man. And uh, they think once Dion hits the South, a school in the South, like it's over. Like what hmm. he's bringing, the charisma he's bringing, the attention he's bringing. My man had Dwayne The Rock Johnson on the sidelines and in the locker room this Yo, weekend. Yo, trying to oh. look black. <laughs> How you get who 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 you bringing to top him on your sideline? Beyonce? Like, hey. come on, man, bro. My man said you let him get to Florida State or Florida or something like that. It's over for college football. You talking about as a head kids. coach? As a head coach. Yeah. Yes, sir. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, man. That's a scary thought for me as a University of Georgia fan, man, thinking that uh uh everything gonna be peaches and cream for the next twenty years for us, knowing no, that Dion out here looming, man. I, I I I promise I seen him in two or three years. I, I don't know, you know, as far as uh Shadur is gonna go. I think uh you know, if he has a year kind of on par with where he started, we might see him go next year in the draft or whatever. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't see Dion doing more than four or five years in Colorado, maybe three to four. Yeah, and, I'm and more I think along he's the two waiting. Three range. Yeah, right. Two to three, three to four. I, I agree. And I think some school in the South, he's mm-hmm. going to get there. And, and I do believe that wave is going to kind of crescendo a little bit. And he's he's going to be out there. And, and kids can't, like kids are susceptible to, yep. to this energy. Like yep. I've watched it from uh, Clemson's uh, perspective. I've watched it with Georgia, with Alabama, with Florida State back in the day. Like when a thing gets going, those kids that are in high school, oh no, they they want to go with the thing that's happening. I mean, little Wayne sure. walked. Little Wayne was out there, dog. Little Wayne little was Wayne. out there, in Colorado. Weezy. I mean, like, bro. But ain't ain't that a match made in heaven, though? I mean, let's let's be for real. Lil Wayne, Colorado. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we staying high, dog. We staying <laughs> high. We staying high. So them them kids are are going to be attracted to that energy, to the the social media presence that they're bringing. Like Dion's cooking up some magic out there, dog. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's impressive to watch, honestly. And I'll be. A little more honest, man, like I'm one of those kind of naysayers of, yeah, he could do it at a black college because he's going to bring in some athletes out there that black college system ain't ready for. He could stack Mm -hmm. his teams Mm -hmm. over there. What I wasn't honestly prepared for in watching him at Colorado was his ability to stack his team out there. Um, And he's done it through the transfer, transfer portal, like you said. Uh, picking and choosing guys who are there. He's got some guys from Alabama. He's got some guys from Georgia. He's got some guys from Florida State. He's got some guys from Jackson State. You know, the the best of the best, though, uh, he's picked these guys here to come out there and do their thing for Colorado. It is scary to think the salesman that he is, you know, with him even grabbing Travis Hunter out of high school, out of under everybody's noses, and legitimately being able to say yeah we we made a nil package for him but travis hunter is really here because i'm Deion sanders and mm-hmm. i can teach him how to play cornerback better than anybody else could teach him how to play cornerback oh and i'm also gonna promote him as a two-way player extraordinaire and let him go out here and catch passes throughout the day too man so and we're definitely gonna get into the hit because i gotta take that i don't think uh, people are really ready for on it, but I'm impressed with what he's doing at Colorado. Now he's got two big games coming up, Oregon and USC and Lord have mercy if they beat Oregon and USC. I think going, even if they go one and one in those games, like it's almost time to watch out for him. But I think uh, ultimately he'll end up going zero and two in those games because uh, I don't think USC is going to do a whole lot to stop them, but I don't think Colorado is going to be able to stop USC either. And I think Oregon's going to bring a physicality to the game that uh, Colorado may not uh, be ready for right now at the moment. But it's going to be interesting to watch them over the next couple of weeks. I think the the um, the hit is going to loom large over the next two weeks, mm. uh, depending on if Travis can come back or, you know, the official mm-hmm. di- uh, diagnosis of his injury. But um you know, it's unfortunate if that impacts these next two weeks because my takeaway from the first three games was really Shadur. 
I think mm. he's really impressed me as far mm-hmm. as how his ability to win games and stay in and, and make throws down the field uh, during the critical time in the game. Like, that's really what I judge quarterbacks off of in college is their ability to stay in and deliver the ball in pressure situations. And Shadur has seemed to be able to deliver the ball to this point. Bruh, I mean, the number of touchdowns to interception, that ratio, and the mm-hmm. fact that he's had to show up late in these games and bring and, and you know, engineer these comebacks and yep. win games. Like, I think that wasn't the thing I was really prepared for was how good yeah. Shadur was as a quarterback. But also, like you were saying, uh, the, the players that Dion has brought out of the portal, uh, the, the, wherewithal of the players that he's kept in Colorado, like all of mm-hmm. those things are working together with him being just Dion, bro. I was looking today. I mean, a uh, sports card investor has his uh, number, number one and number two rookies are the number one and number two cards in the, in the wow. country right now. Wow. And I'm like, yo, this dude is just coaching, but that will just show you, you know, the energy and the, uh, you know, wave that he's creating to this point yeah yeah absolutely because that card i remember looking over it a few times and just saying man that card's never gonna do anything again right and, right and now everybody wants a piece of dion uh but speaking of wanting a piece of somebody man that uh colorado defensive colorado state defensive back wanted a piece of travis hunter saturday night with the hit heard around the world and the reaction Monday morning and everything. Mr. Roan, I just got to tell you, man, I'm not mad at the hit, bro. I'm not mad at the hit. Yeah, that's, uh, I I, I want to disagree here, but I'm going to tell you the truth, bro. I think I'm I'm pretty much right there with you. Uh, look really just like a, a football play to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, kind of that's what the business that they're in like, mm-hmm. hey man, sometimes the ball gets dropped and the and the wide receiver gets popped. And that's just yep. how it is, bro. Yeah, man. I think uh we got a term for it. We call it alligator arms. When the receiver know he's gonna get hit, he pulls back and he drops it. Or if he doesn't pull back and he makes the catch, then we call that guy courageous because he knew he was gonna get hit. And yeah. that happens. Three, four, five times a game, bro. And it's not head hunting or anything like that. It's just the defender separating the offensive player from the ball, which is what they're taught. The guy hit him with his shoulder pads. He didn't hit him in the head. Um, he didn't hit him in the knees or anything like that, which to me, I would have probably took more offense to and everything. And to be honest with you, I didn't think that the hit was extra gruesome. I didn't think he really bulldozed the guy. He hit him hard. If you watch any football game, you probably could see the same play happen three to four, five times a game uh, where the defender is coming over to make the big hit on the wide receiver. And to me, that's all it is, and that's all we need to leave it to be. But if you want to add anything extra to it, I'm willing to have the conversation of these two head coaches making the game about themselves instead of about the players. When one coach decides to um, insinuate that Dion's mom didn't raise him right because he 
was taught mm. to take his sunglasses off and his mm. hat off when he speaks to other adults. And then the other adult really taking that bait and running with it and both both adults keying their teams up to go out here and play this physical it's style. Personal, dog, it's, it's personal dog. It's personal. To the point where Dion <laughs> brought his mama to the game. It's uh, personal, to the bro. Question. <laughs> hey man, and I'm so, trying to figure out a way to tell my daughter every time she step on a track, it's personal. <laughs> I don't know what they done said about you, but they done said something personal <laughs> about you. Run hard. Tell that Run hard. Look. Yeah, Pull hey, that hamstring. Leave it out on the track. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it out tripper. here. If she pass your tripper. <laughs> <laughs> It's personal. Yeah, man. He he did I'm, make I'm, it personal. I'm definitely willing to have that conversation about these coaches taking over the personality of the game and keying these players up. You know, you want motivation wherever you can get it, and you want your team to go out there and play hard. Um, it being a rival game already, adding that little extra on top probably didn't do anything to tone down what was going to be a high animosity contest anyway. Yeah, they had a pregame scuffle. They were at it early, mm-hmm. bro. I'm looking mm-hmm. at my I'm looking at my watch. I'm getting Twitter notifications. Mm-hmm. You know, uh uh early in the um evening, like six, seven o'clock. I'm like, man, the game look, I know I got the game coming on at ten o'clock. Why am mm-hmm. I getting a notification at eight o'clock about <laughs> Colorado and Colorado State? That's because yeah, they done got into a skirmish in the pregame. <laughs> In the pregame. In the pregame, they already at each other, you know, early. And like you mm-hmm. said, you know, the head coaches and, and them involving themselves. And I think that's just something we're going to have to get used to because that's kind of the the Deion Sanders energy that he brings to the game. He's a part of it. But mm-hmm. also the, um, the other part of it, I was thinking the whole time, you know, watching the lead up to this, bruh, in the locker room, you had Master P, you had mm-hmm. Cameron, you had, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all of the the normal Michael Irvin. Mm-hmm. You had uh, all them guys on the sideline, like you said, the Rock, and all of this energy. Can you imagine this energy in the locker room? Mm-hmm. And and kids haven't even played the game yet, bro. Yep. They ain't even played yep. the game yet. Lil Wayne in there and all of that, mm-hmm. all of that energy before the game. Like, where does that put you mentally? So I like part of me was like, yo, like some of this, I believe he's gonna have to get a hold on and kind of rein mm-hmm. in. Because, Absolutely. like you say, you do have the Oregons and the University of Southern Cal and, mm-hmm. and those teams, like, hey, bro, that ain't Colorado State you getting ready to play. That's yep. a, that's something a little bit more serious. So, uh, you know, we're gonna see. I I think I've been pleasantly surprised uh, with what Dion has been able to do. But then there's the college football skeptic in me that's saying, "Hey, the other shoe is gonna drop." Yeah, yeah, and that's where it's gonna be interesting, right? Because Dion is Dion, and he ain't gonna always handle these situations the way we think they should be handled or the way we want to see them handled. He's going to do it the Dion way. So I'm definitely interested, too, like you said, in seeing the other shoe drop and what it looks like and how he handles it and deals Mm -hmm. with it, man. On the flip side, I also am starting to get this feeling of the old Miami Hurricanes where Uncle Luke was in the uh, locker room. And we know where the Uncle Luke was. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Yes, sir. Drop that booty, Joe the booty. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. Hey, man, that Miami Hurricane squad was busting some heads, though. Hey, Whatever dog. they were doing in the locker room, it led to some heads being busted. Uh-huh. But yeah, <laughs> for man. Real, for real. While we're yes, talking sir. Uncle Luke and everything, Mr. Roan, I want to jump back into our ongoing discussion on uh, I'm as old as hip-hop. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's me. That's me. Hip-hop one, two, at one, two. 50. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dog. Man. Hey, man. That's a badge of honor, bro. That's a badge of honor for me. Yeah. T-shirts coming soon. I'm as old as hip-hop, baby. <laughs> yeah, man. Let's, let's talk about how hip-hop has influenced the culture, man. You know, everybody says it's all about the culture. It's all for the culture. Um What's some what's some ways that kind of stand out in your your mind of hip hop influencing the culture? Well, let me let me tell you. I, I'll preface this by saying, "Hey, man, I got two daughters." I love okay, when I, you when you start a conversation with. Let me preface this. I love hey, when you. Hey, start man, let me. That hey, let me preface this by saying, <laughs> I got two daughters. Yes, sir. So I've had to learn to temper um, kind of what I listen to, what I'm what I'm excited about based on who I'm around. So my two daughters are older now, the um, youngest being almost 17. She'll be 17 in a week or two. So Uh um, as we're recording this. So um, I've been challenged uh, by what she's listening to Mm -hmm. and what her influences are like I go to I drop her off at school or when I pick her up from school like I'm noticing what young women young girls her age what they're listening to what they're wearing how they're carrying themselves like her friends and her social media like how those things are being influenced by music and mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, bro, I'm a little worried as a dad, as, mm. <laughs> as a man, I'm a little mm. worried. You know, um, these these things I look like I used to look at these artists and uh, the females like back in my day, the little Kims and the, uh, the Foxy Browns, you know, from back mm-hmm. in the day. Like, yo, they can't hold a candle to some of these girls nowadays, <laughs> bro. The Lottos, the... The sexy they are doing little Kim, bro. Hey, dog, dog. That stuff, the stuff these girls doing now make little Kim blush. Wow. Man, I'm just saying, hey, sexy red, that the songs like some of them girls <laughs> repeat. Hey, she hey, don't repeat them lyrics around me. I, hey man, I'm, I'm a blush. I'm like, hey, hey, that's that's too much. That's too much. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Um I I agree with what you're saying in that that route of being worried about the future of our youth and the influence from hip hop to them because it's kind of like what you said nothing is off limits in these songs anymore and remember coming up for us there was a a radio edited version a radio edition and the album edition and I was perfectly fine listening to the radio edition of songs. They sounded good to me and everything. But once I got to a point where I was able to listen to the album edition of songs, it was a whole new avenue for me. It opened up the song in a whole nother way. I didn't want to hear the radio <laughs> version anymore of any song. You know, I remember taking that that step of progression of, man, this song is way more exciting on the album than it is on the radio. And that was innocence when they were saying hell and damn. 
Um, not necessarily going into explicit lyrics other than don't stop getting it. <laughs> Uncle Luke was Uncle Luke was Uncle Luke. He was a whole uh -huh. different story, and he was down there in the locker rooms of the Miami Hurricanes when they were busting heads. Um, but just listening to a regular uh, Outcast or a regular Notorious B.I.G. and hearing his song with the words kind of however they edited them, and then hearing it on the the CD, the album. It was like, man, this song sounds so much better that way to the point where I, that's how I wanted to hear music then. Mm -hmm. Coming fast forward to now, I don't even know if they do radio versions anymore because they say everything on the radio. Um, and it's really hard, especially if you have satellite radio, where it's uncensored radio. It's mm -hmm. pure radio. And you're getting the song the way that they put the song out. I got to a point where I had to stop listening to music because I would have my 15, 16, 17-year-old daughter in the car with me and those songs would be on. And I wouldn't sit in the house and let her watch pornography with me. I'm not going to sit in the car and let her listen to pornography with mm -hmm. me, which is essentially what it was becoming. Mm -hmm. um, and so, Oh, no, we I, all the way there, dog. Uh, we all the way there. Uh, let me uh, tell you, that, hey, hey, that was a couple of years ago. Let me tell you, we we kept on hey, going, what they, and we what all they the way down, bro. What hey, they bro, saying now? Bro. Talk slow, talk slow, talk slow. Pound town, <laughs> pound town. Pussy or or coochie pink, booty mm. hole brown. Come, mm. what? Mm. What? That's in the. How you gonna edit that out? How wow. do they edit that out? I don't, I don't listen to radio, radio, but pound town just left pound town. My coochie pink, my booty hole brown. What is going on? You can't tell me. Now, in this day and age of kids being able to get on YouTube, getting mm -hmm. on to Spotify, getting on to mm -hmm. whatever you know medium they're using to find music, dog, they they taking these lyrics in whole. These mm -hmm. lyrics is coming in whole. You can't say that's not affecting the culture. Uh, mm -hmm. And how people are carrying themselves, or how little young girls—I'm—I'm I'm, like I said, I'm a father of daughters, so that's perspective I have. Like I don't mm -hmm. know how boys are responding to this, but I'm yeah. just saying, like I do believe there's a sexual liberation happening within this country with with young women, mm -hmm. uh, be them black or white. I think just in young women, there's a sexual liberation that's happening. But also at the same time, like, yo, hey, slow some of this down. Yeah. I can't take all of this right now. Like, yeah, it's just too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, mm -hmm. every once in a while, my daughter will catch me slipping. She get in the car, something come on. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, dad, like, yo, like, what is you listening to? I know what you listening to. You can't hide that. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, even though that's true. I'm still like we're not in that place where we just gonna yeah. play this and we're gonna listen together. I want you to know that there is some shame involved in this. There is some mm -hmm. some withdrawal you should have when it comes to these type of lyrics and this kind of music. And mm -hmm. it's more of do as I say do, not as I do. And yeah. I, I'm a I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite, and I can admit that. But at the same time, like yo, my responsibility is to raise you the way you're supposed to be raised, and I, I and that's how I'm going to approach it. 
Yeah, man. I couldn't agree more with you on that last statement there. And you know, you know your boy Fuzzy Handsome is a wild boy, man. Like, <laughs> you a wild boy, dog. <laughs> <laughs> He's a wild boy. If there's going to be a sexual revolution happening, I'm here for it. Let it happen, right? I, uh-huh. I'm not going to be the guy to stand up there and block the roads off and say, no, don't let people come into their own in a sexual realm or anything like that. But uh, I think that's the extra liberal part of me that mm-hmm. says those kinds of things. But like you said, being a girl dad uh, uh, and raising a family and everything, the the thing that I really coveted was the ability to be able to, quote unquote, raise my daughter right. To be yes, able sir. to say these are the standards and the morals and the ways. And um, I understand the outside influences of your friends and of this music, of YouTube and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, we sit down and this is how we do it over here in the Mayberry clan. Yeah. Um, so while there may be this revolution happening, it saddens me to think that it's out of the hands of parents and guardians in the way that it's happening. It's really being cultivated by the music. Now it's really being cultivated by quote, quote unquote, the culture, mm-hmm. the peer pressure, the, the, the shame of it, the absolute misunderstanding of it, the immaturity of it happening before these kids are really ready to take that on. And we could take this into a bigger conversation of all of these influences coming at kids nowadays through our cell phones in particular, where this guy here has got this much money. I need to be making this much money over here. Or this guy here is, is scoring this many points in his game. And I need to be scoring. This guy here got these kinds of shoes. This kid, is having sex with these girls already. So I need to be doing that too. You know, as a parent bringing kids up now with everything literally in the palm of their hands, that has to be difficult. It it absolutely is difficult. You know, I can speak to it, you know, from my own perspective. And, you know, it is the influences you're you're fighting against. But also what I'm recognizing is there are two things at play here. Like there's me as the person individual, like how I approach life and and what I like and what I listen to. But also there's me as a dad that says, Hey, you know, like you were saying, Hey, I'm going to raise you this certain kind of way. Like Chris Rock used to say this thing. I think he had a joke about it, about, you know, my job is to keep you off the pole. Mm -hmm. I'm keeping you Mm -hmm. off the pole. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I can raise you to a point where you understand as a young lady, you got to get out here and be a righteous kind of person and, you know, go about life a certain kind of way, how my mama would have wanted you to be, how my sisters would have wanted you to be, how my aunties would have wanted you to be. That's what I'm trying to instill into you. And as long as I get that job done, like, if I get that job done, I can, you know, count it as job well done and you go on about your life. You won't be able to say like my dad accepted certain behaviors out of me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not that guy. You know, maybe that's another generation or two past me on into the future, but I still got this old school in me. I'm not, I'm not going that way, but 
I do recognize the influences that are around and how I can just look around and see how things are changing. So, yeah. you know, I'm trying to to balance both things. I'm trying to Man. balance both things. Man, be wrong. Oh, you're giving me a tough question to ask you, man. I I, I got a tough question to ask you. Be shoot, dog, shoot. You remember, clear. You know, you know, you older than hip hop, so I'm sure you do remember this, man. Um, you remember when rap and hip hop was first coming up, and the naysayers, the other side, was worried about the cultural effects of this kind of music on their kids. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. Hey, oh, bro. b do we have to go back and apologize to those people? I, I don't think so. I think what we're seeing is probably a larger, uh, a larger effect of just society in general and how things are going. I think we were kind of leading down this road. I don't think it was hip-hop individually influencing the greater culture i think it was the greater culture kind of influencing hip-hop hip-hop has always kind of been this reporting of what is actually happening it's mm -hmm. it's not enforcing or influencing what is happening it's just reporting of what what is happening so i think you know if you look at hollywood if you look at television and whole you know whatever it is the medium if you look at it it's becoming more sexually liberated uh if you watch tv you see more same-sex couples you see more um of those things that are on your tv every day so it's society in in general that's really changing i think hip-hop is just a reflection of that you know okay. that's just my point you know my opinion i think hip-hop is a reflection of what's really going on in the greater influence of society Okay. All right. Well, I'm just saying, whenever we want to get our hat in our hand and go find Newt Gingrich and Mitch McConnell and see Dolores Tucker. See Dolores Tucker, bro. You brought that one out. You brought that one out. Hey, yeah. I used to listen to the music back in the day, back yes, when it was sir. good. Yes, back when it was good. They had lyrics back then. Uh-huh. Dolores Tucker, you's a motherfucker. You too old to understand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 Every once show, in a while, I had show. to break that out. Man, before we get off this cultural thing, though, I just want to kind of say, you know, I remember being a uh, 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 Northeast, a New York flavor rap lover growing up before Outkast hit the scene. Yes, and uh, just loving, you know, the influence of those guys and how they spoke. And, Yo, what's up, son? And Hey, that's my up, that's my man's that's my man's in the <laughs> muckus <laughs> and all of that man and then becoming like a Jay-Z fan and wearing the Yankees hat even though I was never a Yankees fan. Uh like he said, he made more the, the Yankees hat more famous than the Yankees did. Um and just really loving the Northeast flavor of hip hop and rap as it was coming down and and getting into the culture of that, the black pants, the black jackets, and and just being influenced by it, man. So I think it's just a natural progression that it'll take 
young me and influence me and survive through these years and whatever version of it it is i'm whatever version of it that it is i'm so glad that it's moved beyond the mumble rap and now kids can say actual words again mm-hmm. even though it's words we don't want them to hear uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh it's it's just a, a it's like water man it's just an ever changing form and we're going to see where mm-hmm. it continues to go absolutely absolutely i think uh that's one of the things i probably look forward to the most is watching how it evolves and watching you know what form or what what shape it'll take next mm-hmm. and uh trying trying to find the appreciation for that uh pick out the things that i like about it it's like you know you eat the meat you throw away the bones Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's my approach to hip-hop. It's always been my approach to hip-hop. It's like, yo, I find the things that I can appreciate about it and the things that add to me and the things that are, are good, I take those things. And the things that I don't really, you know, get any uh, positive energy or positive vibes from, I discard those things. Those are the bones. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's what I don't really need. You know, if it's the drug talk or the, um, you know, constantly I'm on this drug, I'm on that mm-hmm. drug, I'm high, this, that, or the other. Like, yo, I don't know some scissors. Right. I don't have no place for it in my life. Like, yo, that's what you're doing. That's good or whatever. Yeah. But hey, I got a job to go to in the morning. So I, I can't for be sure. high like that. So I got to move sure. a different way. You know what I mean? But if that worked for you, that's work, That's what's working for you. But, yes, you know, man. I'm going to find this other spin on it to, to keep me getting up in the morning. I thought about this when we first started back. Uh, you know, when you first talked to me about getting back on this thing and trying to do it again, one morning I woke up, dog, and I promise you I woke up out of my sleep and I had public enemy on my mind and, and Chuck D was just saying to me, hey, yo, like I got so much trouble on my mind, I refuse to lose. Mm, mm. I get up in the morning with that mentality, like, yo, yes, sir. I have things that are pressing me, but I refuse to lose. I'm going to press forward. And that's what hip hop has done for me. You know, I can look mm-hmm. back over the times and think about how many times that thing has motivated me, whether it was in high school or basic training or just a regular day in the military or whatever it was. Like I can recall having that song play to me like, yo, get up, like whatever it is you're going through. That's not enough. You got to get up and refuse to lose and press on. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. I love, though, what you said in there about I can't be high like that because I got a job <laughs> to go to. Hey, what kind of high can you be, brother? What hey, man, hey, man, hey, man, maybe that's another segment for another show. Another maybe show. that's a, exactly. another segment for exactly. another show, but I can't be but... that kind of high. <laughs> I got to function. I got to function. Exactly, my man. But one thing I love about talking with you be wrong one thing i love that comes out of it is this feeling of tranquility and just peace that comes over man like you are definitely a man that's been to therapy uh i know my i myself haven't been through my own therapy sessions as well man um it's something that a lot of black men maybe maybe more black men are moving towards nowadays but Something that probably all black men maybe need to look into for themselves, man. 
can you uh or if you feel like sharing your therapy um episodes man love to have a conversation kind of around black men and therapy as we were getting ready to jump on this show it turned into like a 30-minute therapy session just between me and you where i was telling you i have uh you know hard decision over here easy decision over here and your boy is the guy who loves to kind of take the hard decision and go with it and see what he could do with it um and you just through your own understandings from your therapy sessions were able to kind of counsel me and and put me in a different frame of mind in that that time frame and that's why this show even came to be from conversations like that where we are able to give each other some level of therapy of course we're not trained um in the in the practice of it but just man to man black man to black man friend to friend brother to brother having those conversations gives just this therapeutic peace you want to speak on that any yeah man i i would say first of all uh prior to us even starting this this podcast some years ago uh i think that was one of the things i always took a, away from conversations that you and i would have or we would have in the break room with different guys, you know, different people we've known along the way, it was Mm -hmm. therapeutic. We didn't know what we were doing at the time, but we were allowing each other a space to vent and to talk and to, you know, kind of rebuff different ideas against each other. Like, hey, you know, this is what I'm going to. What do y'all think about this? And in a way, we were providing this uh, this atmosphere for therapy to happen. We mm-hmm. just didn't put a name to it. So, yeah. you know, us putting the the show together kind of kind of uh, reinforced that that uh, going forward that you know, hey, this is free therapy. It's a, a safe space. It's a place mm-hmm. we can talk about things and get things off of our chest. Um, myself personally, yeah, I, I've been going through therapy for. Um, probably uh, the greater part of a year. I think it's a part of my uh, marital um, journey, you know, just trying to find out things about myself that I haven't always known or trying to figure out like, yo, what is the reason I respond to things differently? I think it's something Mm -hmm. that everybody could probably benefit from. But Black men just in America, just us being who we are every day, we go through traumatic events every day. Our Mm -hmm. existence is a traumatic existence. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we don't approach that that way and know that, hey, man, when you go, you being in the military, you having dealt with some of the things you had to deal with in the military, you knew like, hey, after this, I'm going to need to talk Mm -hmm. to somebody. I'm going to need to deal with these kind of experiences in a certain way. I think that's pretty much on point with where we are as black men. Mm -hmm. You go through dramatic things and traumatic things and experiences all the time. And it's very natural. And I think the stigma is kind of being dealt with now where we're in this uh, revolution of people dealing with their mental health that you can say, hey, man, it's okay for me to go talk to somebody and try to figure this shit out because I Mm -hmm. can't figure it out on my own. Like, I've tried to figure it out on my own. That led me nowhere. So me, myself, personally dealing with my therapist and, and, uh, you know, kind of breaking down some of the reasons for my behaviors, I I think it's uh, 
something or time well spent, I would say. I think it's time mm-hmm. well spent and it's something I would encourage most people to go ahead and do, especially if you're a grown person and you're a black person or a white person, whatever you are, you know, dealing with kids or dealing with a marriage or dealing with whatever I'm like man yo go talk to somebody to try to figure out some of your stuff some of the things that you don't know like what's the origin of this mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. where i think therapy is most benefited me is kind of showing me the origin of some of my behavior that's pretty that's pretty insightful right there i would say you know being a black man Yes, that's traumatic. And then adding in being in the military, which brings its own traumatic events. Uh, it just it was a crash course for me. There was no way I was going to miss out on having to see a therapist at some point. Um, literally being placed in a war zone for my first deployment in Baghdad, where they were at war. You know, mm-hmm. when I got there, the day I landed is the day that Saddam Hussein was captured. He was captured a few hours before my feet touched the ground in Iraq. Um, and I tell you, there was a compound there that he was being held at the airbase I was stationed at. And they came to get him back that night. They They attacked the base my first night of my first deployment. And hearing bullets pass by and seeing the explosions and and being grateful for the army being there to to protect us to save us to <laughs> yes sir bro i ain't have any ammunition mm-hmm. all i had was an m16 bat at that time if somebody got close <laughs> enough i could swing it but i didn't have a bullet yet that i, I didn't even know where the armory was wow. at that time wow. uh, and the realization of being in a bunker and realizing these people are really trying to kill us out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward on that same deployment to seeing an airplane take off and seeing a missile come out of the, the mountains going straight for the airplane and knowing the airplane has flares and seeing the flares come out. But for some reason, they came out mistimed or something and the heat signature didn't pick up. And seeing that missile go right to the number three engine on that airplane and hit it. And seeing that airplane turn around smoking and thankfully lining back up and being able to land right on that same runway it just took off from. Those are images I'm never going to forget. You know, having a party at Christmas and thinking everything was fun in those moments. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 18 explosions from um, um, Mm. rockets being shot over at our camp. And ruining a, the Christmas party we were having and bringing us mm. back to the reality of being in a war zone. You know, literally carrying a soldier's arm um, to the armory, to the infirmary. And I didn't say the soldier. I said his arm. You know, walking through Saddam Hussein's homes, his castles, his palaces, seeing the the luxurious accommodations he was living in and the the absolute filth that his people were living in and just all of the experiences that I've been through led to a diagnosis of PTSD for myself where I had to I had to seek some counseling and then being in a leadership position in the late stages of my 
career and having people who were going to deploy to possible war zones as well and trying to mentally prepare them and ask them and say, and you know, in the military, once you get a security clearance, nobody's trying to go to mental therapy because you're going to risk your security clearance at that yep. point. Yeah. Um, and trying to explain to the people under our command that, hey, it's worth it for yourself. Our unit is going to be okay, even if you lose your security clearance. But mm -hmm. what we can't have, you know, if you if you had a broken ankle or a broken wrist, I wouldn't let you come to work. You couldn't right. come to work. Like, I was going to tell you to go over to the hospital and get yourself taken care of. We literally would have people in our units walking around broken people, broken mentally. And we needed to start treating that the exact same way as if they had a broken wrist or a broken ankle. Uh, I can't let you go out here and put yourself and others in danger broken like this. And I just mm -hmm. hope that somewhere we can remove the stigmatism from mental health in our black communities. Or, oh, he's on the short bus or he look crazy or, mm -hmm. or you know him, he's special. Remove those stigmatisms that we've placed over time in, in our own um, societies, our own um, neighborhoods and everything, and start encouraging one another that it, mental health, um, mental health, mental therapy is normal. Mental health and, and mental therapy assistance is, is healthy, it's good, it's positive. It's needed. Um, I hope it's we needed. it's needed. It's needed. Yeah. I hope we could start turning that message around and I, start I directing more people. I I would say I, I agree wholeheartedly um that some of those things they start close to home and we have to address, you know, the the um historical impact that you know some of these things have had on our families where we kind of hold these secrets close to vest or when you're suffering through something like well you know nana nana just gets sad sometimes no hell no nana's depressed mm -hmm. and she need to mm -hmm. go figure out what's going on with her so mm -hmm. that's you know kind of our approach like has been like we kind of explain away what things we're going through instead of finding professional help and, yeah. and getting out there and saying you know hey i'm gonna go deal with this in a professional manner and, and get this resolved versus explaining in a way. And, you know, like my man say, I'm going to thug it out. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think sir. in the black community, in the black community, we have a way of kind of just thugging it out thugging and we need out. to really, Hey, go get some help, man. Talk to somebody yeah. or whatever. Like it, I promise you it's not that crazy. You probably going to end up liking it. Because it's a way for you to kind of vent and talk and, and say, you know, what's on your mind and get that mm -hmm. stuff up off of you. And then yeah. you have on the other end, somebody uh, uh, with a professional education that can kind of break down where you're coming from and say, hey, you know, have you thought about it this way? Or what, uh, you know, what do you think about this idea? Maybe you should address this this way. And it, mm -hmm. it's only positive. That's mm -hmm. That's my takeaway from therapy is, you know, having it has only been positive for me. Yeah, man. It's It kind of reminds me as, again, we speak about the stigmatism in the Black neighborhood and wanting more Black people to get into the therapy realm. Uh, my man Talib Kweli, 
to someone in the hip hop is 50 realm that I love to listen uh -huh. to. Uh, has this line in one of his songs talking about his grandmother being uh, more than 100 years old, where he says she went from nigger to Negro to colored to black to Afro to Afro-American. And she's lived long enough to get right back to nigger. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go through that whole cycle, especially in a lifetime, there's trauma in there that needs yes, to be unpacked. Just mm -hmm. off of that. Just mm -hmm. off of that. You know, and a lot of people may not have lived a hundred, have definitely lived through a time where they've been called nigger and negro and colored and, and black and Afro-African-American and end up right in their old days, right back to being just a nigger, you know? Mm -hmm. That's that's hard. That's hard right there. That's hard living. That's a hard life. And being able to sit down with a professional who can give you help outside of um, talking to your homeboy on the phone or going for a run or whatever coping mechanism may be your thing, I think uh, I can't say it loud enough. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, don't be afraid of what's going to come from from getting mental health. Uh, I can only say positive things about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, B. Ron, it's been another great episode with you, my man. I enjoyed this. Again, this is our therapy. Uh, one version of our therapy as we both have our own mental health appointments that we uh, keep up with regularly and everything, but these calls here certainly, certainly help keep me on the right path. Absolutely, me too, bro. I mean, uh, you know, that's why I was glad we we got back together and started doing the thing, man. I'm looking forward to more and more episodes, more and more topics, and, and things that we can expand upon. And yo, know, it's only gonna get better from here. Awesome, bro. Well, until next time, give me a quick prediction. Uh, does Dion beat Oregon? I mean, does Colorado beat Oregon? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Hey, Dion pulling some magic. But right now, I think if he ain't got Travis Hunter going into Oregon, dog, I, I can't see it's how they pull time. it off. Yeah, that yeah. I don't know how they pull that off at Oregon. But I'm okay with being wrong, bro. That's one thing I've learned over the years. I don't know everything, so I'm okay with it. But right yeah. now, I, I say Colorado can't get past Oregon. All right, I'm a wild boy, man. So I'm going to take Oregon at home. He's <laughs> <laughs> a wild boy. He's a wild boy. Wild boy. And, and uh, with that being said, that's going to be the end of this episode. Until next time, uh, this your boy, Fuzzy Handsome. Hey, Bruce, give me my money. You lost that bet, son. <laughs> All right, everybody. This be wrong, yo. Y'all be easy. We out.